In the name of Jesus, amen. It's the Sabbath day, and Jesus is invited out to dinner by some Pharisees, and they were watching him very closely because to this dinner they had also conveniently invited a man who was sick. And they sat him there right next to Jesus, as if this was going to be a temptation. They, now, here's what the Pharisees knew. They knew that Jesus could not help himself from healing people. <laughs> There's anything that comes to us in the Gospels, as we read through it, we see that Jesus, even if it's going to cause him trouble, even if it's going to mean staying up all night, even if it's going to mean he can't even finish his sermon and he has to be driven from one town to the next, Jesus cannot help himself from healing people. He just loves them. He loves you too much. And so they put this man sick next to Jesus, and they're watching to see if he's going to heal him, because then, if he does, they can pin him down as a Sabbath breaker. <laughs> now, it's amazing to see that they're there watching. Luke tells us that they're watching Jesus. But you know what's really happening is Jesus is watching them. Jesus has his eye on these guys. I mean, he sees right through them. He sees the game. He sees what they're playing at. So even before he heals the man, he asked them the question, is it right to heal someone on the Sabbath? <laughs> Jesus says, which of you, if you have a son or even an ox that falls down in the pit on a Sabbath, won't go pull him out? And he heals the man, and he sends him home, and the Pharisees are stunned into silence. And then Jesus gets after them. I mean, this is not how I think the Pharisees saw things going. <laughs> they were there. They were probably pretty proud of themselves for coming up with this great plot to trap Jesus and have something to accuse Jesus of. But all of a sudden, he's, not only has the trap been sprung, it's sprung on them, and then Jesus keeps coming at them. Now, I want you to notice this first, that while the Pharisees were interested in trapping Jesus so that they could accuse him and condemn him, Jesus is interested in what's going on with the Pharisees, not to condemn them, but to save them. He's calling them to repentance. And this we should not hear as a, oh yeah, he's going to get them. He's going to get those bad guys, the Pharisees. I want you to remember that all of us have a little Pharisee living in us. Luther, it's kind of funny, Luther used to call it in his preaching, the little monk that lives in our heart. <laughs> Can you imagine? You've got a little monk living in there. You've got a little Pharisee living in your own heart. So do I. And that, and that little Pharisee is interested in, in confessing its creed. And, and you know what the Pharisee creed is? I'm a good person. I believe that I'm a good person. And I'm going to prove it. The Pharisees were proving it by keeping the Sabbath, by keeping the law externally, by doing all the things, they said, that God had commanded so that they could prove to God and to everyone else that they were a good person. And each of us has that temptation in the church, outside of the church. Every single human being has that Pharisee making that argument, wanting to be righteous according to our own works and efforts according to the law. Remember how we uh, learn in catechism class that there's three uses of the law? The first use is the curb. It keeps society in order. The second use, the theological use, the most important use, is the mirror. 
It shows us our own sinfulness, our own breaking the commandments, our own failures. And the third use of the law, the guide or the map which shows us how we ought to live, how we ought to love one another, how we ought to worship God, these instructions for the Christian life, how to pray and so forth, that's the true use of the law. But the Pharisees had taken the, the right use of the law and twisted them. So the Pharisees had the the latter use of the law. I can use God's law to climb up into heaven. Or the foam finger use of the law. You know those foam fingers that you bring to the basketball game? We're number one. This is how the Pharisees did it. We're the best to show their own righteousness. Or the pedestal use of the law so that they could lift themselves up above everybody else and then look down on everyone who wasn't keeping the law like they were keeping it. That's how they were using the law. But this is a misuse of the law. And here we come to the heart of the gospel, to the heart of the Christian religion, to the heart of the preaching of Jesus, and to that thing which sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Because while every other religion and every other confession is trying to deal with the problem of our human sin, our immorality, our breaking God's law, our, 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 our sinful desires, our sinful actions, and our sinful deeds, Christianity, in fact, is talking about not only the danger of our sins, but also, and hear me please carefully, the danger of our good works the danger of our pride, the danger of the thought that we're good enough to stand before God, the danger of that confession of the little Pharisee in each one of us that wants to exalt itself to stand before God or before the neighbor in the glorious adornment of our own good works and our own efforts. Jesus sees how dangerous this is. And he sees it in the, in the simple act of the Pharisees all trying to get to the best seat. I, I, I think we still have this a little bit. You know, if you go to a formal dinner, uh, the person who sits at the head of the table would be the honored guest, and the people who sit right next to them are the most important people, and the, the m- more important you are to the event, the closer you are to the front, and the less important you are, you're at back. Weddings are like this. Can you, can you imagine uh, g- going to a wedding, and you're like, oh, that seat looks great right up there next to the groom. I'm going to sit there. <laughs> they get served first. They're on the table. They can see over ever. And so you go to a wedding, and you go, and you sit next to the groom, and someone has to come and tell you, hey, uh, Buddy, that's not your seat. That belongs to the best man. Your seat is over there by the bathroom or whatever. (laughs) That's the idea. But but even more so in the culture. I I remember when I was in um, when I was a young man and I uh, I spent a summer in the Fiji the Fijian Islands, and there's a very old and traditional culture, and they had this ceremony where at night you would sit around and you'd you would drink kava together. I'll tell you more about it sometime in Bible class, but uh, there was always this, it was a very hierarchical uh, uh, ritual so that the most important person received the drink first, the chief if he was there, and then his wife, and then the next most important, the next most important, and it went all the way around to where you knew exactly where you stood in the whole thing. 
You, you knew your order in the social hierarchy by, by what order you were given the drink to drink from. This is, this is probably how it is in the, in the ancient world with the Pharisees. There was this, this, higher, this uh, social hierarchy and you knew just exactly where you fit, but they're always trying to jockey for the better seat. They're always trying to sit in the, in the better spot. They're always trying to, and this is how Jesus says it, they're always trying to exalt themselves. Because they're thinking, and you know how the Pharisee thinks because you got that little Pharisee in your own heart thinking like that, that you, the Pharisee thinks, well, I deserve that spot more than him. I should sit closer to the front than her. I've, I've done more. I've been better. I've tried harder or whatever it is. And so that there's always this act of self-exaltation. And Jesus in the text today calls us to Repent. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So that Jesus in this example of where you're supposed to sit when you go out to dinner is telling us really the mystery of the kingdom of God. He's telling us how the entire history of the world has unfolded. He's telling us how God always acts with us. Those who exalt themselves, he casts down. And those who humble themselves, he lifts up. So that we are called today, right now, we are being called by God the Holy Spirit to, to, give, to abandon all of this business of lifting ourselves up and rather to humble ourselves, and that, dear saints, means to repent. To recognize that we are sinners. That, that we cannot earn a place in God's... Uh, in God's feast, at God's table. That we deserve, remember how we said it, we just confessed our sins? That we deserve His temporal and eternal punishment. And we don't just say that, we believe it. It's true, we do deserve this, these things from God. But do you know what God does to the repentant, to the humble? He lifts them up. So, so we're not in this pharisaical rat race, trying to claim the better seat, trying to get the better spot, trying to earn God's favor or acceptance. We're falling on our knees knowing that we shouldn't even be in the same room with the Lord, and He comes to us, and He finds us there on the ground, and He says to us, this is amazing, friend, Go up higher. Now, I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what comes after that first word. <laughs> Jesus could say to us, friend, go outside, or friend, take a walk, or whatever. If he calls us friend, that's all we need. It doesn't matter how close or far you're sitting to the head of the table. Listen to this. Jesus calls you his friend. Friend. And he means it. He knows, he knows that you've sinned. He knows all the things that you've done wrong. He knows all the broken commandments. And he died for them and shed his blood to forgive them. And now he comes to you today and he says that you are my friend. And he calls us in closer. He lifts us up higher. 
That's what baptism is. The Lord Jesus calling sinners, friend, come up higher. It's, that's what the absolution is. Friend, come up higher. Be lifted out of the despair of, of your own sins. When he calls us to the Lord's Supper, friend, come up higher. And that's what your death is. <laughs> Can you believe it? When it's time for you to breathe your last and your heart's stopping, that's Jesus saying, friend, come up higher. I've made a way for you to live forever with me. We sing the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. But you know the hymn that Jesus sings? What a friend I have in you. Dear saints, he loves you. And he's lifting you out of the humiliation and humility of your sin and your death and your sorrow and your struggle and your shame and all of it. He's lifting you out of all of that and he's calling you to sit with him at table to eat and drink His body and blood, to rejoice in His kindness and in this great honor that He calls you His friend. So may God grant us the Holy Spirit so that we would bounce around with joy in this good news that Jesus calls us sinners His friends and invites us to share in His life. May God grant it for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.